What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. We're here after three series go to game seven. Embiid's knocked out of the playoffs. The Suns are knocked out of the playoffs. And Giannis is out of the playoffs. We won't see any returning champions. And we got Tim and we got my main man, Ronan. We're going to talk about this today. And we'll leave the losers for later, but let's just plan on uh, preventing these next two series. But first and foremost, guys, how are we doing? Pretty good over here, over here in uh Boston area. Loving my team. How about yourself, Ronan? I'm good. I'm good. I just have to correct uh, Chris there. I guess COVID brain is already kicking in. There's only two two series went to went to game seven, man. Miami beat Philly in six games. Come on. Yeah, I mean the Grizzly. Oh my god, it is COVID. So I gotta apologize for my voice. I gotta apologize for my brain too, apparently. But hey, those Grizz that Grizzlies Warrior series, that felt like seven games. That felt like nine games. That was a long, that felt like a long series. And with Ja, it would have been seven. But yeah, you're right. Two game, two game sevens here. But uh, how about we talk about that right there then? Because we're we're gonna talk about the Warriors in a second. Um, real quick. Does Memphis beat the Warriors if Ja stays healthy? No. It's a yes or no question. Nope. Really? Like, yeah. Like we said. Like like I said to right, you. Fine. Moving on. Moving on. Whatever, whatever <laughs> it is, whatever it is, the Warriors have got it. That's something I said. Dude. Oh, I'm not too sure uh, what it is, but the Warriors just they just have it. Yeah. And they just have more. They just have that bit of know-how, and that obviously they have a, a very high levels of talent too. And I just think they they just had that bit extra that that uh, Memphis doesn't have yet, but uh, they're definitely on the right track. Uh. I just said we weren't going to talk back on it. But all right, let me just say this. Let me just say this. The Warriors, I, I believe after the end of the series, the Warriors only led by, I think it was only 10 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes out of the entire series. There were only 10 minutes where they led the entire series. The starting lineup for the Warriors with Draymond, with Curry, with Clay, with Poole had a negative 17 net rating. Whenever, listen, whatever it was that they had, they barely had, and the Grizzlies are right there. And uh, we'll talk Grizzlies more later. Oh, my God. Dude, they coughed away like three quarters of every single game. And in the end, like maybe maybe that's what it is. That the Grizzlies got to grow up. But, um, but Tim, do you, have, do you have any moderate thoughts? Because, I mean, we're, we're a little extreme here. I, I think Ja would have. I think Ja was the missing piece of that win. Well, I, I don't know the exact statistics, but I swear I saw something that the Memphis Grizzlies are almost a better team without John Moran, statistically-wise. But, but I, I believe that they're obviously better with John Moran. But uh, that being said, I, I just think that, yeah, it comes down to the mature factor and the growth factor. And for the Memphis Grizzlies, maybe next year and the following year, they're going to be able to close out those games. And a team like Golden State that has championship pedigree, they know what it's take down the stretch to close it out. And ultimately, once the Grizzlies grow up, they'll be the team to beat in the West. Yeah, they'll be coming back. They, they said it. They're coming back next year. And they will. They'll come stronger. I'll give you one thing, Chris. I'll tell you for sure that if Jamaran was playing, I don't think the Warriors would have had 25 offensive boards in game six. Oh my God, that was the offensive board. That was a crazy thing. That, that's what lost in the game. But well, let, let's let's move on to the other less interesting uh, series. What, what's our reactions for 
76ers. James Harden. Uh, what I I I wanted to just know what like what the hell in a game <laughs> simply like, in a game where they need him to step up, they need him to score. He takes one shot in the third quarter and one shot in the fourth quarter. Like that is insanity. I mean, I know Embiid struggled as well. That guy was just absolutely battered and exhausted playing on that floor. He was still getting shots up. What the hell was Harden doing? I don't care if he's missing. You still got to put up the shots and try and add that bit of fight. It was, uh, oh man, it was it was just horrible. It was like respect to Miami, but 76ers, they just, they just rolled over in the second half. They were down by a point going at halftime. And they just rolled over. It's it's just awful. Yeah. Tim, did the, what the Heat did, did that feel scary at all? No, I don't think it's scary. Uh, first of all, I feel like if I'm Joel Embiid, I'm absolutely disgusted with the play of James Harden. And it just seems like uh, his prime is being wasted. And you got to tip your cap to a man like Joel Embiid who lays it all out there, plays through injuries, and, and truly cares about the game that he plays for. And so that team needs to look themselves in the mirrors and, and really build around him. And James Harden, he has to have a bounce back year. He has to have a career year because if I'm the 76ers, I definitely don't offer him another max deal. He's likely going to opt into his deal, which is like something absurd, like 47 million or, or anything along those lines. So uh, it didn't scare me from that perspective because I just think the Celtics are a way better team than the 76ers. Yeah, it's not a comparison. I think I think the interesting thing when you watch the Heat throughout that series is that they didn't at most of the time they just didn't look themselves. And also like they're playing down to the competition. Um, just like the the lazy passes, uh, lack of effort, and especially on the fast break, which is like a hundred percent that is not a Miami Heat thing. It it felt like they were playing down, and then when they had to wake up and Butler just went crazy. Um, I think that's what was eye-opening. In that series, not that I think it was obvious that if you don't have him beat for the first two games and you're just not healthy on that end and the Miami Heat are the team that they are, it just I never thought that they had a, a chance there. But to see Butler, it was eye opening to see Butler and how he dominated. I mean, he's making his presence known in the playoffs right now, but um, maybe not scary, but something to take note of for sure. Um, so. I want to talk about Celtics last. So real, real quick. Um, <laughs> was Doncic? It was was that was that game the other night? Is is that the best? Is is that the best game seven performance of our time? I, I might be I, I could be missing something, but that was just like my first feeling. It's like as a team and as an individual performer against what is the best team in the league, Doncic and the Mavs just completely dismantled that team that felt like the best game seven collapse and performance at the same time i guess i've in my life i've ever seen yeah i think i think i'd have to agree i think uh, there's probably some some lebron james game tied back in my mind there too but that was it was just unbelievable from luca i mean the fact that he had the same number of points in the first half that the suns had I mean, obviously, that's a credit to the Dallas defense, too, but that's just unbelievable. And it was just, it was a real eye-opening moment for him as just 
an elite talent that I think we all believe that he is, but he shows it more and more. Because after it was a game five when he made that comment about Devin Booker, when he Booker flopped and kind of did a little impersonation of uh, Doncic, and uh, Doncic just goes, "Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to act like that when you're when you're on top." And that that uh, that is a uh, stunning yeah. because he went and uh, beat him down in the next two games, and uh, the Dallas Mavericks have come out and won it in Game Seven. It was another great move on the track of the career of the young career of Luka Doncic. Unbelievable, unbelievable performance. Um, I just confirmed that no team had trailed by more than 30 points at halftime in a game seven, especially at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of qualifiers for this is basically like the worst game seven loss in in history. Um, I, I I think, Tim, I feel like in our conversations about the Suns, we've kind of been on the fence at times. And I feel like people like us, it's easy to knee jerk and say, well, that was it. That was their window. They had a lot of breaks last year, a lot of injuries that allowed them to get there. Like, is this like, okay, now, now I, I revert back to that. I, I kind of see, I kind of see that, you know, maybe they're not that team that they were. Um, does this feel like any evidence for that feeling that we had before? I definitely think so. And with the whole controversy with Aiton, I feel like he's not going to be yeah. back with the team next season. And so they're immediately missing a huge pillar to that team. And Chris Paul, he's not getting any younger, although he's an excellent point guard. Uh, in the NBA, the windows are only so long. And so it does feel that maybe they are just an excellent regular season team. But next year, I don't know if they have 64 wins. They're going to be not, they're not going to have their star center who is is pivotal for that defense and for that team in general. So interesting to see what the team looks like. But my initial knee jerk reaction is that likely their window is closing and a team like Memphis is on the rise. So that's just immediately where my mind goes. Man, Mm -hmm. listen, I wasn't trying to bait you there. I really wasn't, I promise. But like, (laughs) (laughs) I like, I can't help but feeling that way. But when I thought about it, I'm like, Dude, are, are we really going to forget what they just did over the course of a season? Like that they were the best team. They're the best team in the league by a mile. Like it was Golden State Warriors and Suns. And then the Suns like proved that they're in the league of their own. They didn't have Booker for a bit. They didn't have CP3 for a bit. They proved so much. But Caleb Bridges, second defensive player of the year. Aiton we're looking at as a top 10 center, top five center to some. Like I, I feel like I can't feel that way. But, you know, things can break. Like, Cookie can crumble a couple different ways because CP3, that's real, dude. Like, it was ported already. And it was funny that people had already predicted this before the game, that someone had tweeted out, just wait, if Chris Paul loses, you're getting news about an injury. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course that comes out. But, you know, he didn't, didn't look right. Um, and then you think about Aiton, and he's the other part of that cookie that – what if he doesn't come back? So what if CP3's injuries like are compiling? Aiton like finds his way out of there. And then there's this clear issue to the team construct at that point. That would topple everything. Absolutely everything. We'd be back to the old uh, the old Phoenix days, just yes. book, putting up putting up points, and that's that's about it. Doesn't do doesn't really mean anything yes. in the long run. Those are those are two very real things, aside from all the 
Like if, if every, if both those guys come back healthy and committed, the Suns are right back where I believe they are. But I think the worry is what exactly we talked about is CP3's health and Aiden's um, future with this team. Uh, already, already Bulls fans are clamoring for the thought of Aiden. I'm sure other franchises are as well. But um, we saved the best for last year. The game seven that we wanted the most between Giannis and Jason Tatum was a gift. I was actually on the plane back from Florida um and everyone was watching on the flight and it was just such a great it was almost like it was almost better than being at the game because like on a flight people are just cheering after every bucket and the collective gasps at every grant williams three was just a symphony of joy it was amazing <laughs> and man i'll tell you i've become a grant williams fan but what the hell was that like <laughs> In a million years, Tim, was that the guy? Well, like, if you were like, all right, game seven, who's going to be the guy? <laughs> no, absolutely not. And in game sevens, you really look towards your stars to outperform. But generally, there is that X factor there. Like, so I think back to 2010, Ron Artest with the Lakers. He showed up in game seven against yeah. the Celtics, and that ultimately proved to be the difference. And in this game, it turned out to be Grant Williams, but you gotta, if you're a Bucks fan, you're scratching your head and you're wondering what the coaching staff was doing, letting him take all these shots. He took 18 three-pointers. He made seven of them. He actually started off missing five of his first seven. So afterwards, his percentage was closer to 50% from, from that point. But, um, you know, they really dared Grant Williams to beat him. The team had his back, told him keep shooting. He kept shooting, and ultimately it was uh, an unbelievable performance from an unexpected player. We saw the two sides of it, and then the other game seven, there was obviously the star and Doncic that stepped up and took over, and then we saw the other side yeah. of it in this one where Williams was kind of the guy. Milwaukee thought, oh, we'll force it on him, and then he won't be able to beat us, but he was the one who was able to to step up and deliver. And it was just unbelievable. He's really becoming one of the breakout players of this playoffs as a, mm -hmm. as a three and D player, his defense in the first series. And then again here, he, he, him and Horford were doing a lot of the work on, on Giannis. And as much as he was unbelievable, quick shout out to him. I mean, first ever player to have 200 points, a hundred rebounds and 50 assists in a single mm -hmm. series. I mean, this guy was an absolute animal, but, he only goes, he goes 10 to 26 in that game seven. And it was just another sign. And obviously Holiday's shooting has been erratic throughout the entire series. His percentages have been yep. really, really poor. Just again, just shows how much they miss Middleton. That game seven, they, they, they looked like they were just going to be able to edge through without him. But they that game seven is just really missing Chris Middleton big time. I, I loved uh, in particular in the third quarter, when Tatum gets in foul trouble and then you see the window open, the Bucks have their starting unit out there and Brown hasn't really touched a ball a lot to this point. It's all been Tatum, Tatum playmaking, Tatum playmaking. And I think that's really a side note. That, that's not side note, big note. We got to give Tatum a big look here after this offseason because it's not like he's just having moments, like crazy scoring games, like doing what he's done before, but he's demonstrating his real ascendance on defense mm -hmm. and the playmaking, which has improved an improvement has basically been like, Hey, don't shoot that incredibly bad shot. 
hey, maybe pass to that guy who's wide open right there. Maybe don't dribble into a triple team. Like just things like that is what you expected. But for him to vault, I feel like over this past year from making good decisions with the ball, A, and then B, making the right first pass, and then C, like making advanced reads in the pick and roll, that has to give him a big argument for where he belongs in the top 10, as much as we hate to have those conversations. But all that to say, this guy who goes out in the third quarter, who has been such a massive part of this whole series, and especially their lead that they built in the first two quarters, the Celtics built their lead without him. Mm-hmm. And that was such a testament to this team as a whole. Um, Jalen and- Brown loves it in the third quarter. Yeah, I feel like he he always comes out big in the third. Yeah, he in game one, he looked terrible. Just didn't want to shoot, didn't want to do anything. Um, When he touched the ball, his first three times he put the ball on the floor, turned it over. His handles are really poor. (laughs) But but no, I I pushed back on that actually running because like his handles have it has definitely advanced, but I think it's it's his mindset and it's like when he chooses to be aggressive because I think his having to choose his spots between being the guy and being the secondary guy is not easy. It's not at all. You ask stars all the time. That's a huge adjustment. So I think that he was too, he was too averse to do anything too much. So that like translates into how hesitant he was in game one. Then you look in game two, when he gets aggressive, he starts really going off, but then finding that balance has been tough for him. And in that third quarter, I feel like in game seven, that was, another picture of growth because he was so patient. He was aggressive, but he was patient. He waited for the right matchup. He waited for the right opening. He made the pass when it was there, but he was aggressive to get to his shot as soon as the opening came up. And I think that's, that's huge growth from both these guys. And when you talk about star duo, like it's about time that, you know, beginning of the season, we projected them to be, I think what they are right now when we had hope for them to, to really grow. So Big ups to Tatum throughout the whole series. Big ups to the team and Jalen Brown in quarter three of a pivotal game seven. And of course, Grant Williams. I like to call him the like, what what is, what is he? He's a rich man's BJ Tucker. Is that enough praise? Yeah. I'd say that. I would I would say that's a great comparison. He's a rich man's uh, BJ Tucker. Cause you know, he wasn't just him. Yeah, thank you. It wasn't just him shooting from the three. Like, obviously, dude, like for him to, <laughs> what would he go? Uh, Seven of 18, 18 yep. three-pointers. Like, he had balls Most to keep shooting. Balls. Like, and I I think, you know, you got to give credit to Yudoka because, I mean, Grant Williams is a coach's player. He's that guy who will execute the game plan. So Yudoka was definitely in his shoot, shoot that ball, shoot that ball. And it was, it was amazing that that is a coaching thing because you, you're talking about, Tim, how – the Bucks are fresh, got to be fresh away with Bud. You know, that was the thing. Like, you guys saw the same look over and over again. And Great Williams completely capitalized. Um, then you got Pritchard. I mean, Tim, do you think what we saw from Pritchard in this series and in game seven is that opening the door a little bit more? Because it's, it's felt like the Celtics haven't given him a very long leash in the playoffs at all. And maybe there's something to be had there, especially with the way that uh, you're going to face the Heat and what they can do. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. It definitely opens the door for Pritchard to have more minutes. Um, 
transitioning into the Heat series, I think Derek White coming off the bench is going to be crucial, mm-hmm. but also Peyton Pritchard needs to come off the bench and shoot the way he's been shooting because in game seven against the Bucks, he hits that three and he starts to say, like, this is what I do. He brings an intensity off the bench that a team desperately needs all the time. And so a performance in the playoffs, it's been a bit lackluster at times, but for the most part, it's been positive. It definitely opens the door for Pritchard to be coming in, playing a lot more, being a solid rotational player, which I believe he actually is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and back back to Grant real quick, actually. Um, do, you, do you notice that he's also done not just the shooting, um, but the way he's put the ball on the floor, too? I, I feel like that's been a consistently bigger part of his game that did a lot this series, especially literally from game one. If you just look at game one, I feel like Grant was shooting right away when in game two, game three, game four, he's using the pump fake to reposition. And then he's attacking off the bounce, attacking drive-bys. And the way that collapsed the Bucks defense, it felt like Grant Williams became a major cog to this offense um, in terms of secondary playmaking. Yeah, and that stuck out to me. His strong takes to the basket, making tough layups, his amazing defense, his shooting. He's per- he's becoming a real well-rounded basketball player. And like you mentioned, he's he's your coach's player. He's, he's the epitome of a P.J. Tucker-like player, which is crucial for a championship team. And so this team just continues to impress me, and you see the growth and just how – they battled through adversity, and it's it's been a joy to watch, and I expect it to continue against the Heat. Yep. So, Ronan, I'll, I'll kick off to you. Do you have a favorite already? How, how are we viewing uh, the Heat Celtics right now? Game's going to go on in an hour, just about an hour. And you know what I'm just saying? Horford and Smart are both out tonight. Horford wow. is out, huh? Horford did the he- health, health and safety, health and safety protocol. Oh, you're joking. That. That's wow. That, that crumbles my uh, next point. <laughs> <laughs> well, go, go for it. What, what was, uh, what was well, your hope with Horford? Um, I don't, I don't want to divert us from our predictions, but just real quick, just, um, it was in the bubble in 2020 when the Celtics faced off against the heat in the Eastern conference finals two completely different Celtics team. They had a starting lineup of Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Daniel Tice was the starting center in all six of those games. So I was really circling Al Horford as a crucial X factor because you take away Kemba Walker, you add Al Horford. In that series in 2020, Autobio, he was the number one player. He led the Heat in almost every statistical category. And so if you put someone like Al Horford and then Rob Williams and then also Grant Williams out there. The defense is a lot more better on in the front court, but without Horford being in health and safety safety protocols, that kind of hinders my ability to, you know, estimate how well this team can do because now there's going to be more of Daniel Tice who got absolutely cooked two years ago. I, I'm I'm really struggling with that too because like. Horford was such a steady hand on both ends of the floor, both ends of the floor. Like you, you handed the ball in the half court and you can run DHOs through him. 
pick and pop through him, pick and like literally he was such important connective tissue offensively. That steady's an understatement. Um, dude, dude was balling that last year. I know. <laughs> Absolutely. But it was, I mean, the, the Horford game, best game of his career. Best game of his career. I you, you don't win that game without Horford. Um, you lose a series, frankly, against the box without Horford. That's a big deal. Um, so Heat are without Lowry and Celtics without Horford and Smart here. It's interesting with, that the Celtics can be without Smart because I think that – so I want to make this major point here when we look at this series is that the Heat are a different animal than the Bucks. I think a lot of people are going to look at what the Celtics did to the Bucks and just translate that over to the Heat and think, okay, these are two really good defenses and we did pretty well against the Bucks, so we should do well against the Heat. But they played very differently. The Bucks, by design – all year for the past five years, really in every major moment against shooting teams is they're going to dare bad shooters and their mind, bad shooters to shoot. And they allow the most three point attempts in the league. And they're actually only middle of the pack at three point percentage, but a lot of that being shooting luck, the heat, however, the heat, they allow middle of the pack amount of three pointers, but they're the best team in the league in opponent three point percentage. And that's a stat that demonstrates what you see on the floor, which is they have very agile defenders, switchable defenders, and they can be amorphous. They'll play zone, they'll switch, they'll blitz screens. Everything that they do is dependent on the matchup because they have such versatile defenders. And they are not going to do what the Bucs do. They're not just going to play the same exact style all series. They're not going to play the same way all game. I mean, they're notorious for changing up their looks in playoff games not just series and quarters and grant williams isn't gonna have 18 open threes throughout the entire series probably i mean he's proven himself um so i think i want to paint the picture in that way to say you know how how can the celtics be better maybe without smart for at least one game just to change things up because the bucks dared him to shoot and he shot and he didn't shoot well Shot terribly, as expected. So the Heat are definitely going to apply that same pressure to the Celtics' offense, just in a different way. Do you think maybe even just having Pritchard there, if Pritchard can space the floor and be their movement shooter? Because I think he's he's showing a lot of moments where he can be a movement shooter off the ball. Can he be like a Reggie Jackson type of presence for this team? Well, before we answer this, let's go back to your original point. Let's do predictions after learning what Ronan had just mentioned with Al Horford being out and Smart being out. What's our takeaways here? What do we think? Let's do it on the fly. Ronan, you go first. Let's go. You know what? This is going. This is going to go the distance again, and I'm going to take. I'm going to take Boston to to take it going going the distance. I no, I don't know. I, I needed to work through that first. I, I need is is Pritchard going to save the series? I don't know. <laughs> But you gotta if you gotta ask me now, you've gotta ask me right now. I don't think that losing smart is like I don't think of it in terms of his offense because that's one side of it. Defensively, not having his presence against Butler, I think that's a big deal. I think smart is important on the floor when you have Butler out there, someone to match his intensity on both ends of the floor. 
I think when you replace that with Pritchard, even with the shooting, that, that makes me that makes me scared of Heat and seven. And some people saying Heat and seven. Well, that's very valid. So coming into this, I was prepared to say Celtics in six, but I teetered on six or seven games. I'm going to push this back after losing this. I think that um, Celtics in seven ultimately. But to go back to your point, I'm interested to see what the starting lineup would be because I was very hopeful that anytime Tyler Hero stepped in, Derek White comes off the bench as well, and he would match up against Hero because two years ago, Hero absolutely destroyed the Celtics. Yeah. And granted, it was a different team, different depth, but we we got we went out and we got D White for a reason, and it's for his defense intensity. And he struggled from the offensive field, but I'm not worried about that. I was thinking having Smart in at the starting lineup, and then Hero comes in, bring in Derek White, and all of a sudden there's defense intensity throughout the whole 48 minutes. So after learning this, I'd be curious if Pritchard's the starting point guard or if Derek White is the starting point guard because I don't know what Udoka's plan is when their sixth man of the year comes off the bench and you don't have a lock for a defender to go up against him. So uh, very interesting to see who what the starting lineup looks like Obviously, I think we're going to see a lot of Rob Williams, which I'm a little bit nervous of because I don't know how that knee is holding up. It was great that he was able to rest all of game seven, but with Horford being out, it's going to be a huge step up for Grant Williams and Rob Williams. I'm, I'm not really thinking too much about Tice this series. Mm. Yeah, he'll be a bit of a, a bit of an afterthought. Well, the, I'm sure Boston are hoping he can only, he could still only be a, an afterthought even, even without a, Horford, but I guess you have to hope if Tony Health and safety, you hope maybe he only misses one game, possibly a max max of two, but you hope that uh, these sort of things don't cause too much issue. On the three ball that we talked about, I think obviously you're talking about the different styles of the defense between the Bucks and Miami. I mean, the Celtics hit 22 threes in that game seven. That's an NBA record. So, you know, if they get hot, they can start hitting their threes. I know it's not Miami's game, but... Milwaukee was really dreadful from three in that last series. And the Heat have been pretty damn poor so far in the playoffs on three. In a lot of moments against Philly, they struggled a bit from three. They're going to have to add that little, just a little bit more if they if they want to really get this, this Celtics team worried. And they want to put pressure on tonight. I think that the, the Heat seeing that, I know they're without Larry, but I feel like they've been without Larry for for most of the playoffs and especially the last series, even when he played, he didn't really look like himself. So I don't think they're going to worry too much about that, especially the way Struess is playing. But hearing that information that they're without Horford and Smart, I think the Heat are really going to have the bit between their teeth home floor. They're going to know we got to go out there and get this win and make a statement and really get off on the right foot here tonight. Mm. You know, I have a big brain theory here. So, basically, Spolstra just takes Duncan Robinson out of the rotation. Best best three-point shooter. Crazy, right? Um, What if it's to make us forget about Duncan Robinson? I don't think... He's not on the scouting report. (laughs) You just just had to plan. You you don't know who he's going to come out with right now. Is he going to come out with Victor Oladipo? Is he going to come out with Duncan Robinson? What's he going to do? Um, you look at minutes on, on the floor with Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. It is just a nightmare because they're great movement shooters. They are guys 
who are going to stretch the defense in on the perimeter. Um, it feels like they didn't they didn't need that against the 76ers. They they didn't rely on that at all. Um, but against the Celtics, I think a team that is really relying on their interior defense, best interior defense in the league. I mean, close to Miami. I think that having those two guys out there is going to be a much different look than what we just saw against 76ers. And, you know, who do you prepare for? It's, it's tough. Um, and as a, as a Celtics team, I think you'd rather see Victor Oladipo out there because he's not really as much of a threat from three. You agree with that, Tim? You think you think you'd rather see uh, see some Oladipo rather than rather than uh, Dunk? Well, maybe I got some PTSD from a couple years back because Duncan Robinson he also roasted the Celtics as well as well as Tyler Hero. So I think um, I think honestly it's going to be a huge series between the two coaches and the mm-hmm. the Heat head coach Spolstra is is a fabulous coach and so. Uh, whatever the adjustments that are needed from the Heat side, they will make throughout the series, as as Christian alluded to. But um, I thought it was interesting that Duncan Robinson, his minutes have been down because he just signed a deal a couple of years ago, last year, for, for $90 million. And, you know, he's a specialist for a reason. And against the Celtics with their defense, you're going to need that three-point shot. And I fully expect to see him out there. And to Ronan's point, I think that if I'm the Miami Heat, you got to come out there and you got to take game one after learning Smart and Horford are out. If they don't take game one, who knows how this series can go? They have to come out and take advantage of two of the key players on the Celtics and come out and take game one. But um, it will be interesting to see what uh, the head coach of the Miami Heat has to has to say with the rotation. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting, uh, very interesting battle between the coaches, similar to what we just saw between Yudoka uh, uh, and Budenholzer, and what we saw with uh, with Monty Williams and, and Jason Kidd in over in the West. But I think there's pressure. Obviously, Jimmy Buckets, obviously he just loves it, loves it in the playoffs. So we know what we're going to get from him. I think there's a bit of pressure on Tyler Hero to to really to kind of step up a bit more in this series and do a bit more scoring off the bench and. Show us all why he was sixth man of the year and why should we should believe in him again, becoming a, a perennial star in this league. Because obviously he had his great rookie year, where which included that uh, performance against the Celtics in 2020. Really struggled uh, last season, and then coming off the bench this year, he's looked good again. But he wasn't at his best in that 76 series, as we probably agree. The Heat weren't themselves; they kind of just doing what they had to do. So I think there's definitely pressure on Hero to. To step up and be a bit, be a bit of a difference maker off the bench for for Miami. Yeah, he's been he's just been straight up bad in the playoffs so far, mm-hmm. for for him. Yeah. I think he'd agree. He'd agree. He's a negative twenty three in the playoffs this year, yeah. and he's shooting twenty seven percent from three. And that's going to be a major weapon for a team that you know the, the Heat were crushing teams with with their three point shooting this year, and they're definitely going to need it. Um, no, I'm actually looking forward to is matchup of Williams and Adebayo, uh, both Williams, but specifically Robert Williams, because Adebayo was clear, you know, right up there, defensive player of the year kind of guy. Um, the fact that he literally spent an equal percentage, just about an equal percentage, give or take a couple of points on every position in the NBA 
thanks to NBA tracks, tracking data. But to see both these guys who are very different defenders, but elite at what they do, Robert Williams being probably the best help side defender, off-ball defender in the league, rim protector, best rim protector in the league without Miles Turner, Adebayo being the arguably the best switching defender in the entire league. Both these guys are going to be huge in what they do on that side of the floor. Um, I guess depending on the play style, like what which player do you think has the chance to make the biggest impact in the outcome of each game? I'll put that to Ronan. I got to say Bam because he's more likely to be able to do it on both ends of the floor, which mm. is probably a big a big kind of difference maker. Obviously, Rob Williams is, is your traditional kind of rim roamer. He's great. Rim protector, he's great on, on lobs and seven screens, but Adebayo can do has that, that few extra weapons on the offensive end, which is why he can be that bit more of a difference maker in this series. But when Horford comes back, hopefully it'll, only, it'll be after this game, that could have a, a huge impact as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll have to say that Rob Williams, he, he can be the the guy that can make or break the series. And after learning the news about Al Horford, it puts all the more weight on Robert Robert Williams to go out and outperform the opposing center, who, as you mentioned, was right there in the conversation with defensive player of the year. And he's an excellent offensive player as well. So I really got to look towards Rob Robert Williams to hold his offense and keep up with the defense that Bam will play and almost cancel it out in a sense. Yeah, I think I think at least in the lob department, you can you can kind of seek to make Robert Williams a key part of that pick and roll. Because at out of bio, he's I mean he's bouncy, but in terms of defending the rim like that, the way Robert Williams can get up, but that also depends. Hopefully he's healthy. But dude, we gotta rewind real quick. Like, why are we why are we continuously saying this whole episode when Horford comes back? Like, why are we assuming he's going to be back after one game? Like, and here's the thing now in the NBA with the policy of there's no, I believe there's no um, asymptomatic testing. Like you are in health and safety protocols because you are sick and you probably have COVID. And like, that's, there's no guarantee here. And, First and foremost, like speedy recovery to, to Horford, like talking basketball here, hopefully he's all right. Um, but that I I picture this not with Horford in mind right now, because I think you know he could be out the first three games. Like he, that's you don't initially know. what I think too. I think that I don't think unless it's a false positive, which I don't believe it is. Doesn't really exist. <laughs> okay, so it doesn't exist. So well, like it, it yeah. obviously, like there's probably a case out there, but like with the testing that we have, like if you are positive, like that is basically like you are, and they're all rapids. I think they're not doing, I'm not sure if they're doing PCRs, but the, these are very accurate tests when it comes to positive results. So like if he's positive, he's definitely positive. Yeah. So they're playing every other night for the next two weeks. I could see Horford out through at least three games. So if he's going to make a return, it could be game four. It could be game five, which is a huge blow for the Celtics just a couple hours ahead of game one. Uh, it, it hurts my heart a little bit. It's tough. How do we stop? How do you stop Butler? That, that's a big question. Um, you didn't have to do that against the Bucks. There's nobody um, against Drew Holiday from time to time. There's nobody on that team 
that was going to create from the mid range that was going to aggressively attack the mid post and the way that Butler moves the ball too, like that's, that's going to be a very different look that the Celtics haven't dealt with. What do you think Yudoka does, Tim, uh, to counter that early on? Well, I fully expect Jason Tatum to take on the role and defend Butler mm. throughout the series. And it would just be amazing to see he takes on Kevin Durant head yeah. to head, takes on Giannis, although he wasn't the primary defender a lot of the times, but his defense was still there. And uh, Jimmy Butler, he is the biggest X factor in the series. He's, he's playoff Butler for a reason. He brings, he brings his game up a notch. And so you know, with a team like the Heat that they have shooters, you can't really throw a double team at Butler if he's heating up. So I really got to look towards Tatum to continue to show that he's taken a step in the right direction from a defensive perspective and own that matchup and win that matchup. Mm. So you win it on the offensive end, though. Who, who, who is it going to be Jimmy, obviously, matching up with him on the defensive end? And you know, you got to think the Heat are going to do all they can to overwhelm Tatum and put the pressure more so probably on Brown and other guys to, to, to do the scoring. Is it, is that going to be a big element too? the, the defense that Jimmy, Jimmy Butler brings as well? Absolutely. is going to be a huge factor. And to what Christian was saying earlier in this podcast, Tatum's got to make that extra pass. He's got to find the open man. He's got to trust in his teammates. And so far he's proven that at least for the first half of 2022, that he's ready and he's available to make that pass. He's not going to revert back to the ISO tough ball. He's going to find that open man. So it's going to be difficult, but I think Tatum's going to ultimately get his. He's going to get 20 to 25, maybe 30 a night. And um, hopefully his assists are upwards five, six, seven, eight assists per game because he's going to find that open man and they got to convert. They got to execute. I, I think, I'd love to see the Tatum on Butler matchup, but I I struggle to see Tatum defending Butler over the course of a game and not fouling. Like Butler's very good at drawing contact. I think the the Tatum on on Kevin Durant thing's a little different because Kevin Durant isn't as physical as Butler. I mean, he's he's using a lot of finesse. He's creating space and using that to get a shot. Like there's not a lot of situations where he's gonna just post up Tatum and just go right to the rim the way Butler's going to do it. Just like every single play. Um, so I actually want to, I, I call on Grant Williams number again, dude, Grant Williams one-on-one on Giannis was yeah. unbelievably good. I mean, Giannis obviously is Giannis and he's going to, he's going to get his points, but Giannis wasn't really getting it on the block against Horford or Grant Williams. And if he's stopping Giannis, you better believe he has a chance to stop Butler. I, I think, I think Grant Williams is your guy there. Cause you, you want to keep, uh, Tatum out of foul trouble. And I think he'll actually do a great job of it. Um, offensively though, I, I got questions like Tatum has looked great. Like we've said over and over again, uh, as a playmaker, especially in the pick and roll against the Bucks. but that Bucks are, I mean, the way that they were blitzing, you're going to see that even more against Tatum with the heat, especially with their, their perimeter defenders you're going to see a lot more switching and fees. If you want to hope to get Williams involved, you got to get uh, him in the pick and roll and you're getting switched on to by Bam. Like Bam's going to be there too. And Butler's going to have no problem posting up Williams. I, I think it's going to be, I think when this series is said and done, 
it's going to be about what Yudoka does to push the right buttons against a team that Swolsha is going to absolutely be pushing the right buttons at the right time. Yeah, agreed. Like I mentioned, I really think it's coaching series right now. So coaching, whoever has the coaching edge could be the deciding factor in a game seven. And um, I don't look towards home court being too, too much of a factor, but it, it's, you know, nail on the head right there. It's about the coaches pressing the right buttons and adjusting on the fly as, as things go. So I'm interested to see it too. And, you know, it's, it's a little nerve wracking right now. You know, I got the game one jitters. Now you gotta, you gotta enjoy it. That's what playoff basketball is all about. So finish it up here. We got, I'm going seven games. Chris, you're taking Miami in, in seven. Tim, you got Boston. I'm with Boston two in seven games. Is that the, Let's, let's see how this one plays out. We got the last one right, so surely we'll have to be way off on this one. Flipping, <laughs> it, flipping it over to, to the Western Conference, what do we think we're going to see between Dallas and Golden State? Chris, what are, you, what are you thinking ahead of this series? This is – I feel like the question here um, is, is Luka the best player in the NBA? Is he the best offensive player in the NBA? And is Draymond Green – the best defender in the world. So I think the answers to those two questions are going to dictate the outcome of the series because Luca's proven time and time again, even against the Clippers. I mean, the, the Clippers are what kept Luca from where he is right now. And he was putting in numbers against the likes of Kawhi, Morris, Paul George, like they had everything it took to stop a guy like him. They couldn't. And he just went against the best defense in the league, arguably, in the Suns. He was cooking Mikhail Bridges, the second-ranked defensive player of the year. He was out-rebounding DeAndre Aiden. He was out-assisting Chris Paul. He was outscoring Devin Booker. He was better than the Suns combined in everything they do. Can, can anybody on the Warriors compete with that? Maybe Draymond, but that's the question. And I think that question's on Draymond. Do, do, do the Warriors have what it takes to stop Doncic? I don't know. Now, Warriors in six. There we go. Early call. I think a lot of people are favoring the Warriors here, and I think obviously I'm talk, talking with my heart a bit too much probably on this one with Doncic in it, but I I, I just feel like I thought they were going to lose against Phoenix, and the way that they battled back and the way Kidd keeps on showing himself to be such a good coach I think it's going to be a much more of a battle than we expect, but I think we could. This series could go six or seven games, and it could be similar to the way those series were for Dallas against the Clippers in the first round the last couple of years, with Luca going off, but the opposing team just having that little bit extra that they need to ultimately win the series. That's that's the way. I'm looking at now. I'm probably I'm, I'm saying probably Warriors in six or seven. I'm not thinking Luca ain't going to be slowing down. He's still going to be putting up the numbers, but I just think the Warriors are just going to have that little bit of edge. They'll have that enough defense to just slow him down enough and slow down the rest of the team enough, and the likes of Clay and Steph, and of course Poole coming off the bench and Wiggins has stepped up in big moments too. I think they'll they'll just have that little bit and a little bit more than. Uh, that Dallas to, to get over the line here. So why, why do you think, I mean, but why do you assume that they're just going to like do well offensively? Like 
Why, why is that your assumption? Because they always do. <laughs> Dude, they, they were terrible offensively against the Grizzlies. I mean, the, the Grizzlies are a physical team. but the, the saying that, but when they needed to, in the clutch moments, just, in the big moments, they still stepped up. Look at, look at Clay in game six. Yeah, was, so that, was, that's unbelievable. Like 30, 30 and 80 goes 11 to 22, 8 to 14. When with the Warriors, I like screw the Warriors. Like, I, I'm you know how big a LeBron guy I am. I hated the Warriors for always beating down on LeBron in the finals. So, are you I'm, using? I, I, oh. I want the Warriors to fail here so bad. Like, but uh, they're just those dicks that I just feel they're, they're always gonna win. I can't, I can't help it. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> You know what this is? You know what this is, Ronan? This is your your deep-seated obsession with LeBron that, you know, if they beat LeBron, then they are unbeatable by anybody else, of course. That's what this is. That's, this is all about. I can see through it. This is in the head. When you have, when you got, when you got the love on the one side, you just always feel like it's, they're going to, they're going to lose. It was similar against the Suns. After that game, uh, game five, I was just like, oh God, the Dallas, Dallas are, are done for here. And then, in just a little moment, every time they got uh, the Suns had like an open look or anything, ah, oh, this is definitely going to go down. I just, I just know it's going to go to work against us, but it didn't. Dude, and, here's and the I'm difference, though. Way. I hope, I hope it's different. I hope Here, here's the, I the hope difference. I, I have the difference. It's, it's the fact that Memphis gave up those leads because of offensive inconsistency, okay. and their defense was there. And you compare the Mavs defense to the Grizzlies defense in the second half of the season and how the Mavs defense is kept up. They kept it up against the Suns. You got to give them credit for that. You got, they kept it up against the Jazz. They just dismantled two amazing, amazing offenses. And you're expecting that this is just going to go the same way. I think the Grizzlies had their flaw on offense that the Mavs absolutely won't have because the Mavs now have a way to shift the gears. They have Luca. They can rely on him, and they have Jalen Brunson. They can put the ball in his hands. Spencer Dinwiddie's getting hot at the right time. Dorian Finney-Smith is hitting shots. The way that they're running complete small ball. I mean, what are you going to do about Kevon Looney? He's not going to be in the paint. Like, and that's what they did to Gobert. And I think they're going to do that to Green, and they're going to do that to Looney to the extreme. And the Warriors' defense is going to look different. And offensively, I don't think they're. I think they're going to meet the same resistance. So I, I think a lot of people are just assuming that this output is going to be the same, but the Mavs are going to hit back in a way that the Grizzlies couldn't, especially when they didn't have jaw. I do want to give credit to, to Spencer Dinwiddie. He was struggling big time throughout the whole playoffs, but game six and seven, he really stepped up big. Uh, that last game, obviously, he had 30 points. He goes 11 of 15, shooting five of seven from deep. Him and Doncic's first, uh, first teammates have 30 points in a game seven since, uh, since Shaq and Kobe. So if he can... Uh, mm. If he can get back to averaging even about 15 points off the bench, that's going to be a real difference maker for, for Dallas in this series. Mm. Important question for Tim is you, you got your Larry Bird jersey. Your dad's a Larry Bird guy. Boston's a Larry Bird city. When you watch Doncic and you watch what he, he's been doing, do you not feel that presence, that presence that Luca carries and if you do, does that not just start to take over your mind? And who has the most star power in this series? Well, between the two teams of Golden State and Dallas, I think Luca, he's 
he's the best player in the series, even though Golden State has Steph Curry. It's just, you know, it's just that time. And uh, the most comparable player to Luka Doncic very well may be Larry Bird. And so, you know, personal between myself and Christian, he used to tell me that, you know, Larry Bird might not, might not have been as good as he was back then if he played now. And now you look at someone like Luka Doncic and he shows you that you don't have to be super quick. You don't have to be able to jump out of a gym. You just have to be showing your basketball IQ and be able to be a baller. And so I'm calling you out real hard right oh, there. But, um, no, 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 no. You can't say that. I <laughs> Hold on. I literally used Luca as an example for why I've changed my mind. I know. Well, I'm, I'm that, just pointing that out. <laughs> I, I'm well documented, if not on this pod, but in our circles, that when it comes to the Larry Bird debate, uh, my tune changed once I could really compare and hear the comparisons and like understand offensively, like what Luca and Bird brought to the table. And I can see that with my own eyes on a day to day basis. You can't use that against me. Come on, man. I, 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 I'm pointed out. I'm pointed out. <laughs> I, I agree though, but um, use it against him. You never should have doubted Larry. Yeah. Thank you, Ronan. I appreciate that. But um, yeah, when you see what Luca can do with those step backs and those long three pointers, it just, looks so effortlessly and he's only 23 years old I believe Mm -hmm. and so he him just like Jason Tatum they've yet to hit their prime they're ascending and they continue to ascend and so in a in a series against a tough Golden State team that obviously has the championship pedigree I'd be so shocked if Luka and the Dallas Mavericks can take that series but then at the same time it would just be a feather in the cap to his legacy and that Luka Doncic is the Larry Bird of today's world? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I, like I, I won't say I, I can't say that I'd be shocked of anything that Luca does. That's how good I believe he is. So I won't say I'd be shocked to see Dallas win this series. One thing I will be, I say I'd be delighted because I remember after the game <laughs> in around March time when Dinwiddie scored the winning three against Boston on a yep. on a Sunday. I said that I'm pretty sure I texted Chris straight out saying, saying I would love to see. Dallas and Boston over over a seven game series. So I would love nothing more to see Dallas and Boston as the as the NBA uh, finals matchup. So oh my god, Luca. you know Luca's got the magic. Let's go. You know why that would be so particular? <laughs> I, I got a fun story here. Um, so Tim is getting engaged last year. Congrats! And on that night, we get back. We're celebrating, and of course, like, and this is just such a testament to how addicted to basketball we are. We turn on the Celtics and Mavs game and they're playing. It's a close game. And that game, we'll remember that on the night that Tim got engaged, Luka Doncic hits an unreal buzzer beater for the win. Yeah. And then again, that Spencer Dinwiddie play. Like there's a lot of history just in this year, personally and on the floor between these two teams. I, I'd love to see that. Um, that. That would be awesome. Tatum against Doncic. That's been something that's been compared you got your hookah pictures and your Tatum in the gym pictures. <laughs> but here's here's my, my major thing with the Mavs. I think that what was the biggest problem with the Warriors against the Grizzlies? Number one, giving up open threes. And the Grizzlies capitalized on stretches but couldn't do it consistently. And dribble penetration. So, like, just, you know, two of the most important things to do on defense they gave up very easy dribble penetration and Brunson I think you can mirror like 70% of what John Morant did in terms of getting in the paint 
Doncic, they didn't face anything like that. I, I don't think they have the perimeter defense. So you're going to rely on Andrew Wiggins. That's your answer. Andrew Wiggins on Doncic because he just cooked Cameron Payne and Mikhail Bridges for an entire seven game series. You think he's not going to cook Andrew Wiggins, Otto Porter Jr.? So I again, Draymond Green and Doncic is that going to match up? Going to be lasting the whole time? Is the bench that's been horrible? I mean, the Warriors bench has not been good. Are they going to survive against Dinwiddie and Brunson? I don't know, man. I I think there's not enough credit being given to the Mavs right now and what they've done on the floor and what they've done against really good competition. And it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people saying, oh, Warriors and six, you know, and it's like always, I always sense the the bit of, uh, I'm being nice. So I'll give you uh, the extra game. But Mav, Mavs will lose in six, but they'll make it competitive. Like, no, I, I think this is going to be a very hard, hard what fought uh, win by the Warriors if, if they win. But if they don't take them seriously, if, if they take games off the way that they took entire quarters off against the Grizzlies, entire three quarters off against the Grizzlies, they can't do that against the Mavs because the Mavs will take it. Yeah, no, that's 100% true. They, they, I think that we know the Warriors will know that they are a well-coached team. They're a well-experienced team in the postseason. They know if they give Luka Doncic an inch, he will take – freaking 10 feet so yeah he will take a size of california the size of slovenia away from you if you give him an inch yeah so uh i think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting battle it's going to be interesting to see with the warriors will it maybe take them a game or so to to get to get get it going that could that could be big for them the way obviously they've had a bit more time off but we didn't see the best of them against memphis so maybe it might take that that little bit extra time, and maybe take a whole game even to get the to get the head right in there. But if the if the Mavericks can steal a game, especially in out of the first two, that could prove really huge in this series. Not that I think, because I think home advantage. I always just I always just love it in uh, in Golden State. I mean the their home crowd is is raucous. It's a tough it's a tough area to go into. But if the if Luca can get in this bag and the likes of Dinwiddie can step up and Brunson can continue with his better form after struggling early uh, in the se- series with the Suns, that's where I will have the belief in Dallas. It's just I have to see it first before I can believe it. Seeing ain't believing. Believing is believing. <laughs> I believe Luka Doncic will take the Mavs to seven. I'm going to call Mavs in seven. And what would I say for Celtics? I, I said Celtics, uh, Heat and seven. You said Heat and seven, yeah. Well, I, all right, all right. Let, let me. Can I give an asterisk? I'm allowed to give an asterisk because I'm assuming, I'm assuming that based logically on how the rules work, Orford is out. Orford actually has COVID. He's sick and he's gone for a week. So that's two games. So based on that, I'm saying Heat and seven. So it actually would be at least three games. At least because three. If he's out for a week. They play Wednesday and Friday. But those are the first three games. So absolutely, Heat and Seven. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you can't put an asterisk on the word absolutely. Well, absolutely <laughs> if. Absolutely if. Absolutely if. That's that's my asterisk. We already got the go- we already got the if game going. You ever you, you never like you never like when it's when it has to be. And that's that a way. pretty big if, dude. That's it that, is a pretty you know, big if. I just you just that it has to be. You like gave that. me you gave me like a pre-launch. Give me pre-launch news. I didn't know Horford was going to be. Out maybe out. Horford's maybe out for three games. So that's that's tough. 
Who knows? All right, I'll lock it in. No, maybe no asterisk. Heat in seven, and Mavs in seven. Tim, what do you got? I got I got Golden State in six and Celtics in seven. Upon hearing about Al Horford testing positive and Smart being out game one, Are you, you're not even gonna change your mind. I just you just talked about. I just lather it up the Mavs just for you to just leave it like some dirty you, leftovers. You, you did. And honestly, I would love to see Dallas move on. I think Dallas in the finals and especially against Boston, it would be, that would be the NBA would love that two, two of the rising stars face off on the biggest stage. Th- that was the nicest way for you to say, yeah, that'd be nice, but I don't believe in it. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Crazy. You've convinced me. Maverick's going to do it in seven. Yes. And so are the Celtics. Yes. And a boy. Come on, clear, clear up the board. Tim, what does it, what does it take? What will it take? What'll no, it take? honestly, I, I could see There's that no, happening. I, this is the I'm last seat. This is the last seat. This is, you ever watch uh, the day after tomorrow the movie about global warming <laughs> when everyone had to escape? You, know, you didn't watch that movie. You watch that movie. Man, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> all right, well, all right. This is this is Noah's Ark. This is the last the last seat on the Ark. The flood is coming. Luka Doncic is coming. You can hop in the boat, or you can crash no, in the I'm waves. Gonna, I'm going to stick to my guns. I'll crash in the waves. Golden State. Instead. All right, the door is closing. The door is closed. That's respect. That's respect. Second tier guns, but one one final point we'll make before we we head off. The draft lottery is uh, is on tonight. Yeah. Oh yeah! Oh my God! I almost forgot. Top three teams that we got: Houston, Orlando, and Detroit. Who do we want? Who do we think? Who do we want to see get the get the get get the number one pick? Who 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 are we leaning towards here? Detroit, Ooh. Detroit. I think I'm with you. I'm thinking I'm on Detroit yeah. too. That'd be so cool. I I, I would. Like you're leaning towards Houston. You no wrong answer. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. The New York. The New York. <laughs> I almost said the New York Knicks. That was by accident. Freudian slip. The New, <laughs> the New Orleans Pelicans. They need to win the lottery. They deserve to win the lottery. But who whose pick do they got? To deserving to. They're, they're two different things there. They they if they win that, I, I don't think there's protections on that pick, right? They they have uh or no, they lost it. It's it's do they have their pick? Is that the one they gave up to Portland though? They still they still have one. I swear to God, they still have one. They still have one of LA's anyway, I think, yeah. But I, I'm just rooting for, for Cade, for Pistons to get the right guy. So whether it's in the first pick, second pick, third pick, I, I think uh, if, if the Pistons get their guy, that would be exciting. Yeah, no, I think it's cool, really cool to see them have real uh, – they got, got two elite players, a guy that can really blend with Cade, that would be, that'd be real cool. Although Houston, they got their young guns too. If they could get another another talented pick in there, it could be really fun too. Yeah. Okay. I, I got to ask though one last thing because it's on my mind now. If the Knicks – if the Knicks land <laughs> any guy – have, have you had uh, any thoughts about who you want now? Like the guy. Uh, I think we'd have to take, we'd have to probably make the wrong pick and get Holmgren and, you know, have our Porzingis 2.0 there, you know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. That'd be Dude, cool. That, that, is, that is the curse that that just lies in the back of my mind. And I feel like if I was a Knicks fan, I'd just be waking up in the middle of the night thinking if you got the first pick, and you got Porzingis 2.0. What would that, what would that look like? 
Maybe we get the right. Maybe we get the right side of the it. right version. Yeah, we get the second. Second, we forget the third time charm. We'll, we'll take a step forward. We'll make it second time the charm there. You know. Yeah. Um, that's oh man. Now you got me thinking about the draft. I can't wait. There's so many good players in this draft, man. It's gonna be very exciting to see where these uh where these guys go. All the Mac drafts and everything. Well, got a bit of time to wait, but it'd be cool knowing knowing we got the places then and teams might be thinking about trading and all and everything in the offseason. All, all kicks off tonight, even though we're we still got uh still got the conference finals ahead of us and it's gonna be gonna be fun to watch these two series. I think we both we're both all predicting them going going deep. Tim, appreciate you coming on. Love getting that insight from a from a Celtics fan. It's a pity we couldn't get uh Kyle on tonight, but shout out to Kyle. Soft, hope your softball team wins for this. <laughs> yeah, shout out Kyle. He said he says Celtics and six upon hearing the news. So, but uh, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So, guys. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.